This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. Running a brainstorming session is a great way to explore new ideas. Leaders at all levels use this strategy to promote innovation. But how do you do it when your participants are scattered into those little video squares in a Zoom meeting? Leadership consultant Gleb Sapersky says traditional brainstorming methods fail to produce valuable results in a world of Zoom and similar remote meetups. He talks about the changes that leaders must make to be more effective in the post-COVID era in this Biz News interview podcast. Well, in many parts of the country, the COVID infections are down and people are starting to return to the office, or at least giving that some thought. But when it comes to the office, we often think of things like brainstorming, where a group of us will sit around a table and toss out wild ideas. But how on earth can we do that if we're in a hybrid situation or still entirely off-site? So that is what we want to be thinking about. We are used to certain traditional ways of collaborating. And that's a dangerous judgment error called functional fixedness. I talk about that in my book called Returning to the Office and Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams. Now, the dangerous judgment errors, what are these? These are errors that our brain makes just because of how it's wired. These are called cognitive biases. You might've heard that term. This is the specific errors that come from the structure of our brain, from our evolutionary heritage, our background. As you can imagine, we are not wired. We're not evolved to be little squares in a Zoom screen. (laughs) We are evolved to interact with each other, engage with each other in real time because we have evolved for tribal situation where we lived in 50 to 150 people tribes. That's what we feel good about. Now, just because we feel good about it, just because our emotions tell us that's the right thing to do, doesn't mean it's the most profitable thing to do. If you think about it, it's much, much more convenient and you save a lot more time by interacting as small squares in a Zoom video conference screen. And you can get so many more people included in the conversation who would not be able to meet in person. It's much more flexible, much more comfortable, much more convenient. So companies and of nonprofits and all sorts of organizations that figure out how to make hybrid work effectively, where there's maybe some time in the office, some time apart, where people, you can have a digital workforce, digital nomads, which can be present and work from around the globe. Those companies that figure out how to do that well will be the ones that survive and thrive in the future. The ones that don't are not going to survive and thrive. So that's what you want to be thinking about. How can you make sure that your employees are engaged, that you get the best employees for the best price and that they're as productive as possible? That means you want to make sure to do things remotely effectively, to do things in hybrid mode effectively, and in the office as well. But if if I'm a a little uh, Zoom square, so to speak, it's very easy for me not to say anything uh, and not participate. True? It is, unless you use effective techniques to engage people. So let's think about traditional brainstorming. That's where people get together in a room and they spout ideas at each other about some distinct specific problem. It's a great tool for doing two things, for creating new things, innovation and so on, and for problem solving. So that's what companies 
leaders typically use brainstorming for. That's great. And there are, when you look at the research, the brain science behind why it works, there are two major benefits to brainstorming rather than if you came up with the ideas by yourself. One is called social facilitation. So social facilitation that refers to how we as individuals are motivated by others around us. You remember that tribalism. So we engage with others. We feel emotionally motivated by them. So that is a benefit of the traditional brainstorming, that in-person brainstorming. And another benefit is called synergy. We're not talking about corporate speak. We're talking about research speak. So synergy in the research setting is talked about is the term for when you have an idea and you inspire somebody else to have an idea that they wouldn't have had without your initial idea. So it's the inspiration of other people's ideas by your idea and vice versa. You're inspired by other people's ideas. Those are two benefits that you wouldn't get by individuals just generating ideas by themselves, the same amount of individuals sitting separately and generating ideas. But if I'm, if I'm a little uh, uh, Zoom square again, uh, Although uh, with my weight, I suppose I shouldn't be. But let, let's assume I'm a Zoom square. I can't uh, interact physically with anybody around me uh, with a you know a, a look askance or something like that that mm -hmm. may uh, pr pr uh, prompt them to offer another idea. How how that's do you right. get a, get how do you overcome that problem? And so that's the problem. That's why a lot of leaders are decide are deciding that hey i don't want to do anything hybrid i want everyone back in the office because traditional brainstorming doesn't work very well by video conference we don't get nearly as much of the social facilitation we get some of it but we don't get nearly as much of that social facilitation that engagement and motivation of each other and it's hard to hear each other speak with there are tensions and conflicts when you're trying to speak on zoom and brainstorm ideas and so you don't get as much synergy going and so though that is a problem, and again, that's why many leaders are trying to get their teams back in the office. But what they're not realizing is that there are a number of problems with traditional brainstorming. And let me list those problems. There are four big problems. One big problem is called production blocking. That's when somebody has an idea, but the whole group is talking about another idea. And that person is reluctant to share their idea and they lose track of it. That most often happens to junior people who are reluctant to interrupt senior people talking and people who are introverted and who sometimes they can't even hear themselves think in a group of people who are talking over each other and they're certainly reluctant to interrupt. Another problem is called evaluation apprehension. That's problem number two, where people are afraid to share ideas because these ideas might be seen as crazy out of the box ideas. And again, problem for junior people and also people who are pessimistic people who see the world as a pretty risky place. And they don't want to share ideas that might be seen as risky out of the box. And they also don't want to criticize other people's ideas in the idea evaluation stage. Third is called social loafing. When there are more people in the room, we see extensive research showing that there are less people produce, that each person produces less ideas because people don't want to think as hard. They think they can offload the thinking to somebody else. And fourth, there's a lack of flexibility. You have to be in the same room and at the same time with other people. So that those are the four problems of traditional brainstorming. And there was actually a methodology invented in the early 1990s to address this problem. So long before hybrid work or remote work was an issue. 
it was addressed, it was invented to address these specific problems of traditional brainstorming. And that methodology is something that I adapted to the remote and hybrid format in which we find ourselves. And it works much, much better than traditional brainstorming. It generates more ideas and more novel ideas as rated by independent third-party observers, according to peer-reviewed research. So it works really effectively. Can you and, give us uh, can you give us uh, a couple of uh, uh, ways to practically apply that when people get done watching this? Of course. So let's talk about what it does first. Well, how'd you do it first? And so then talk about applying it. The, it's called asynchronous brainstorming. Asynchronous brainstorming. Unlike traditional brainstorming, which you do at the same time, this methodology of brainstorming is done separately. So separately, whether it's a hybrid team, remote team, or fully in-person team, you individually sit down and generate ideas and put them into a shared collaboration tool. A good tool for this is something like Google Forms, or if you're doing visual brainstorming, you can use Mural, or if you're a Microsoft user, you can use Microsoft Forms. Create a form that everyone can submit their ideas into. And then over a set period, you say, over this day or over this hour or over these five minutes, whatever time you want, you generate ideas individually for and put them into that form. Now you can make this form anonymous. You can make this fully known or you can make it semi-anonymous where only the facilitator knows who submitted the ideas. And that is, if you want to motivate people to submit more ideas, you want to make it either known, fully known who submitted the ideas or semi-anonymous so that you or the team leader can see who submitted the ideas. And that way you can track the ideas per person. And you can that of course creates motivation incentives for people to submit ideas. If this is a more controversial topic, you can make it fully anonymous and you won't be able to see who submitted ideas. So that's the first step. Then it's idea cleanup. You clean up the ideas, remove duplicates. If there are any duplicates, fix typos and so on. And if it's semi-anonymous, what you do is, well, for the semi-anonymous, you have two fields in, let's say, Google Forms. You have one name field and one idea field. And then you take out the names and just put the ideas into a separate spreadsheet so that nobody but you knows who submitted the ideas. And so here we have, we're already addressing a number of problems. We're addressing production blocking because everyone can put in their ideas. There's no problem of other people talking and you being distracted by their conversation or overwhelmed by it, not wanting to interrupt. Also the anonymity or semi-anonymity allows the combating of evaluation apprehension where you're worried about what other people will think about your ideas. It also combats the social loafing because each person is submitting their ideas individually. And so you can see how many ideas each person submitted and finally, it provides a lot of flexibility because people can do it from anywhere at any time, very flexible. So you have a second step, you clean up the ideas. The third step is idea evaluation. Everyone rates the ideas based on whatever criteria you want for the ratings. You can have criteria such as innovative idea, pragmatic for implementation, good strategic fit, whatever you want, good cost-effective, whatever criteria work best. So they rate the ideas and then they comment on each idea if they want to comment on each idea. But the main thing is they rate them. This should really be anonymous. So this part, I strongly recommend anonymity. It's very easy to do it in Google Forms. Just have people open it up in, in incognito window. Same thing for Mural. So now we evaluated the ideas. The fourth step is convergence. Now, 
uh, I should mention that you can do another round of steps one for free. If this is a really important strategy, that way you can get synergy going where people are inspired by each other's ideas that they saw. If, you, if this is not super important and you think one round one for free is enough, in most cases it's enough, you can go to convergence. And that's where you meet and you talk about the ideas. By now, you have ideas very clearly evaluated. So people have rated the ideas. You see which ideas are rated highest. You can talk about that. There's no problem for junior team members. There's no problem for pessimists. There's no problem for introverts. They're fully included. And you get very diverse, fresh out of the box ideas and perspectives on everything. And so now you converge on the ideas that you think are most useful, and then you implement them effectively. So this is a methodology that is excellent for hybrid teams, for remote teams, works great for in-office teams as well, and it gets you a lot more flexibility. You can do it anytime, you can do it anywhere, and it includes anyone, including, like I said, junior people, introverts, pessimists, who are not very well included by traditional brainstorming. How did you uh, uh, come up with all of this, Glenn? So I did a lot of research on how our brain works. So that's my background, brain science. I was a professor at Ohio State for a bunch of years on this. I published a number of peer-reviewed articles. And all that time, I was also moonlighting as a consultant for companies. I consulted for Fortune 500 companies from Aflac to Xerox. In fact, two days ago, I did a major presentation for a Fortune Fortune 200 high-tech manufacturing company for their strategic kickoff meeting for around 400 senior leaders from around the globe, specifically on asynchronous brainstorming. So I researched the future of work and decision-making and risk management around these areas. And my new book is called Returning to Office and Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams. And that's the book that talks about asynchronous brainstorming and a set of other methodologies that you really want to use for the future of work, which is definitely going to be much more hybrid than we previously had before. You know, lots of people think that, well, we're going to go back to the office, we're going to turn back the clock to January 2020. Not true. It's clearly not true. Flexibility is the name of the game. Flexibility is the future. The future is flexible. And if you don't have a flexible future for yourself or your company, you're going to get left behind. And so the book talks about how you don't want to work in the modern world much more hybrid than before using the traditional January 2020 methods, which so many people, that's what they're taught. Leaders are taught those methods and they think, okay, we're going back to the office. We should go back to the January 2020 methods. That's absolutely wrong. That's not how you lead in a hybrid environment. That's a very different context. And so the book talks about how you lead effectively in a hybrid environment, whether it's some people coming to the office, most people, whether it's fully remote or whatever your situation is. When do you think we'll have an idea whether or not that is indeed going to be true? Because I can hear the people who count noses saying, hey, I need to still be counting those noses in those cubicles. <laughs> what I'm seeing, large companies are committing to having hybrid workforces with some people fully remote and something like Last I saw from large companies where is uh, about two thirds to three quarters intend have intend and are in the process of changing their offices, office spaces to become much more hybrid. So they are making serious investments into hybrid office space. They're also hiring people 
in geographically remote locations. So people who are not living by their office and there's no expectation at all that they will be moving to their office. So we can clearly see that large companies are going in this direction. Middle market companies, there are some going in this direction too. They're, of course, what large companies do, middle market companies, they're going to be following that trend because they have to. Otherwise, they're not going to be competitive. And of course, startups are doing much more of that. So startups, you can expect they'll be doing that. But you see large companies, large, large companies, the company, the Fortune 100 company I spoke for two days ago, many, many other companies doing that, having a hybrid workforce with some people fully remote and geographically dispersed without any expectation that they'll be moving to a company office. This may do a lot to ease the problem of trying to hire top talent, don't you think? Absolutely. If you can hire from across the world, you can hire people who are not located nearby. If you're, let's say you're located in San Francisco, you have to compensate people pretty highly for the co local cost of living. But you know, if you can hire somebody in rural Montana where they like to live by the snow because they, they enjoy that, or let's say they live in you know, rural New Mexico because they enjoy the heat in the mountains, that's great. You can pay them quite a bit less to come to address the cost of living and it's convenient for them, it's convenient for you. You want to be thinking about that. That is a lot of savings. And it also helps that if they live in another time zone in many ways, if you want to be a more around the clock company. So if you want to have more customer support, all of these sort of things, many companies are choosing to hire people, let's say English speakers in Ireland, UK, Australia, to be more around the globe companies, South Africa, and so on. Now, from the workers standpoint, though, that means far more competition for jobs, correct? Yes, of course. It means more competition for jobs, but it means that they also can get jobs with comp other companies around the globe. So companies that can pay them pretty well. If they can get a job, let's say, with a Saudi Arabian company or something like that, when, they live, when they're living in the United States, Saudi Arabian companies pay pretty well, I can tell you as a consultant there. And so you don't have to be limited to American companies. That's one. Second, you can move to a lower cost of living place in the United States. If you currently live in San Francisco or, or New York, you don't have to be paying those rents and those prices. You can move to much nicer. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I love it here. I, I grew up in New York City. So New York City is kind of the hometown for me, but I much prefer to live in Columbus, Ohio for the cost of living. I get about four times the space that, of, that I can, for the same amount of money that I would have paid in New York City, and I save a lot of time on my commute. <laughs> and that is indeed going to be a, a problem for drive time disc jockeys. There may not be much drive time left. Well, people will be listening to their podcasts quite a bit on the, while taking a walk in the middle of a day, right? If they can afford, if they don't have to sit in a cubicle, I think there'll be much more a problem for midtown service centers, so like cafes and so on. But sorry, I mean, sometimes people lose. Do you see this as the most dramatic change uh, involving work in the future? Or are there other things on the, on the same horizon? I think it's the quickest change the, with, uh, associated with the pandemic. The pandemic has clearly accelerated trends that were already going. There was more and more people were digital nomads. It was becoming a thing, you know, maybe something like maybe 3% of all people worked full-time remotely. 
but in the future i'll i'm within a year i'll be shocked if there are less than 10 percent of the people working full-time remotely and if less than 50 percent of the people don't work a full-time work week inside in the office i'm talking about of course of the people who can do so obviously people in let's say sales on the shop floor they have to be there but people who are back office workers who can work remotely i'd be shocked if they are not spending a significant if over half of them are not spending a significant amount of their time something like at least two days not three days a week working from home and so that's something i can definitely say and some at least 10 percent working full-time remotely if not more and i know this from my clients they help 17 companies by this time transition into this i told telling you about the fortune 200 high-tech manufacturing company it, which has some 29,000 people working for it. It's not a small company. And that company is going to definitely have a hybrid workforce. It's, I mean, obviously people on the shop floor are going to be in there in manufacturing, but the large majority of its staff, research, development, back office staff, sales, they're, they're going to be working in a hybrid modality with a small percentage working full-time remotely. This may sound a bit trivial, but this also opens up an uh, an area for new business designing homes that have offices or need to have an office put into an existing home. Well, this is something that companies are doing right now. So the companies, all the companies that have helped transition, I strongly encourage them. And I think something like about 80% of them are doing a little bit more than 80% are doing home office support. So paying something like a thousand to two thousand, depending on the cost of living in the area, to help set up a home office because it's clear now that you know it's not simply the pandemic. The companies will spend a bunch, will spend the employees of companies will spend a bunch of their time working from home. And it's very important that the home office be as facilitative of productivity as possible. That means comfortable, quiet, not distracting ergonomic, all of these sorts of things. So they're buying technology, of course, and they're buying furniture for people to do so. And in some cases, if they are also paying for in the remodeling of the home, usually in splitting it with the employee. So those are the kind of things. I think the big business opportunity is less renovations than various home office appliances and furnishings. So and that's what I'm seeing a lot. And there are a number of companies that are doing that. Another big business opportunity that a number of com that I partner with a number of companies, I'm the consultant, and I bring in subcontractors who work on setting up hybrid meeting facilities inside the work office space. Because some people on the team are working from home, and some people on the team are working from the office, and they need to connect with each other. Or some people are geographically dispersed, and they need to have a hybrid meeting. They're not going to have a full in-person meeting. And so that is a really important development in terms of new businesses opportunities. Exciting times are ahead, but what would you like to add we haven't had a chance to talk about? I think people really want to be thinking and recognizing that the way that they have traditionally been leading is not something that's going to be a good setup for the future. The way that you lead in the future of work with this hybrid modality, it's neither the remote modality of the two years of the pandemic, 
and it's not the fully in-person modality of January 2020 and beforehand. Hybrid is a third way. It's a much more flexible way. And so you really want to be recognizing that the future is flexible. When you look at surveys of employees, the number one desire, the number one priority of people is not pay, it's flexibility. They want a flexible schedule, both in the amount of hours they work and in location of where they work. And so that's going to be the key, offering people flexibility. You will get much more retention and much better recruitment and much higher productivity. And of course, much more engagement and higher morale and work-life balance. So you want to be thinking about that flexibility. And that's going to be the third way that you, the flexible work that you really want to be offering to people. And that's what I talk about in my book, Returning to the Office and Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams. Do you have a website uh, that our folks can uh, reach you at? The best website for them to check me out is my home website at disasteravoidanceexperts.com. So my company is called Disaster Avoidance Experts, and that's the website, disasteravoidanceexperts.com. There will be blogs, videos, podcasts, books, online classes, coaching available. Especially check out the free class on making the wisest decisions on the future of work and an assessment on the kind of dangerous errors we make in the future of work at disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. Again, disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. You've been watching the Biz News Podcast. We welcome your input. Send your email to editor at biznews.com. Thanks for watching. Thank you.